Hey Harry, how have you been? Well, thanks Shabazz, how are you doing? You know, interesting, with all of the things that are happening, COVID-19 and all. Strange times indeed. Yeah. Both on house arrest. Yeah, I know, right? It's absolutely mental. But hey, I guess we're going to be trying doing, we're going to try to do this remotely, aren't we? Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I've heard the last episode was also attempted in the same way. Exchange in Europe got cut short and I'm back in Australia now, so. That is absolutely mental. I hope, I hope everything's okay there. In Europe or here? <laughs> like where you are right now. But I've heard Europe isn't doing too well. Australia seems to be taking a pretty fortunate and considerable approach to the whole situation in comparison to at least other countries. Have you seen the situation and how they're tackling it in Sweden? I have not. What's happening in Sweden? They're taking a very hands-off approach actually um, and have not mandated house arrest to anyone aside from the elderly and the already compromised so school is school is still active what and that's mental social distancing is encouraged but not enforced that is actually insane i wonder how the death toll is there one of the reporters described it as playing chess with death um and the approach that you know, most of these global economies are taking towards it is try and reduce deaths now. Um, but that being said, it is likely that that will result in more deaths further down the line because until the whole crisis is taken under control, there will be an ebb and flow of outbreaks until Every, until we've established either herd immunity or we've got herd immunity as a result of the virus, of the vaccine having been f completed and administered and to the vaccine, everyone. it looks like it's so far away, right? It looks mental. Um, it's pretty insane. Have you heard of this um, Canadian startup? Is it a company? Yeah, it's a company. They've been using um, human and artificial intelligence to predict and mitigate the risk from outbreaks of disease. So I think they've been doing some work with the Zika virus um, in 2018, where they, their tools were used to predict an outbreak in Florida six months before it occurred. That's pretty mental, isn't it? Artificial intelligence being used to predict outbreaks of disease months before they happen. I mean, what are your thoughts? It's pretty intelligent, isn't it? Um, they had, I have heard of it and they have, um, alleged that they predicted the outcome of this recent COVID-19 outbreak and they supply reports regularly to global powers using the proprietary modeling software. Um, to those listening, you can check them out on the internet and they have an Explorer application, paid models and free models as well. They have a cloud-based GIS platform integrates more than a hundred diverse data sets including air travel and near real-time disease surveillance so you can imagine the the scope of what they can learn and imply from this data is pretty immense 
Yeah, but it kind of, it makes you think, though. If we're going to be using artificial intelligence in such big decision-making, uh, it really brings the question of, like, um, how much trust we give these models, you know? Because while it's been proven to be correct a few times, I wonder how many of their, um, how many of their, I guess, projections have not come to fruition, and whether it's even economical to act upon every, um, act upon every likely, I guess, prediction that these models produce. Like, as a decision maker with limited resources, would you rather want to act preemptively with these models and potentially waste a lot of budget, or wait and see and then attack afterwards, you know? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, at what point does preemptive, preventative spending become, I guess, cumbersome and over-the-top excessive? Exactly, but you can never know with these models, because you don't know if the model is accurate until you have some form of validation. And, like, with so many variables, there could be quite a bit that these um, companies don't account for, that just the fact that they got it right even a couple of times, that is mind-boggling, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely mental. I guess we need to allow it more years and witness it being trialed in real time furthermore and compare the predictions and assessments that this AI makes in comparison to human intelligence based assessments of it yeah and you could yeah we'll determine which has the best track record these things are still quite young I suppose so yeah the question you you raised is very valid you could even have an AI evaluating the AI, because that's kind of how it works, right? You've got all of these um, outputs, and you're trying to validate whether the AI model was correct or wrong. That's kind of the whole concept of AI, right? It's constant validation. Um, you just keep telling it whether it's right or wrong every time it produces something, and then after a lot of training, eventually it ends up getting it right way more than we do, and we have no idea how it works. At least that's how supervision soup oh wait no supervised artificial intelligence works i'm not too sure if this is what they use though reiterative ai reviewing sort of process yeah pretty much that's the concept behind ai mm. i'd be very very interested to see the work and it's so fascinating how this whole covid-19 crisis has used um uh, has used these things called um geospatial information systems that um, most people wouldn't have heard of um, before, I guess, now, really. Um, I mean, they must have used them in their daily life with, like, Waze or Google Maps, because technically that's a geospatial information system. But actually visualizing data through online mapping, you know, it's just become, it's become so profound. You see these people on morning news shows. Um, I know there's this company that I used to work for who actually... Um, specialize in it, um, Esri Australia, and their CEO um, was on, um, I think it was some morning channel a few weeks back, and it's just the kind of exposure that this technology has gotten through this is just surreal. It's definitely become a lot more relevant, hasn't it? Yeah, and it can be used as a really, really, really important tool to see where these outbreaks are occurring. I know that, um, I think it was... Um, John Hopkins University uh, that produced the first web map for the coronavirus 
um, using this ArcGIS online platform, and it's actually almost everyone has seen it by now. Have you had a chance to have a look at that? No, I haven't. John Hopkins University, but yeah, maybe, maybe everyone hasn't seen it. <laughs> I'll get onto that. Uh, but yeah, it's so interesting. It's like this map of red dots um, showing fatalities around the world, and it's a grim sight. But I guess it goes to show. I mean. There's so much power b behind geospatial vis visualization for both, I guess, people, um, like just your normal citizen, just curious, but also decision makers and figuring out where to focus their initiatives and make better decisions. It's really, really um, interesting. Months and years to come, these models will be so helpful in battling the social outcomes of this disease, especially those fatality maps you were speaking about. Just going back to that um, question about economic viability of all of these preventative measures and trying to predict outcomes and stifling them before they happen, something that we can consider is, I haven't got a good name for it, but sort of the paradox of prevention where for example, if you're a if you're an IT technician working for a company, um, your work will often go under the radar if you're doing your job properly because none of the information systems are actually experiencing any problems. Hence, you might then get asked the question, why are we paying you? What do you do? The issue is not that you do nothing. The issue is that you do the right things in order to prevent issues from surfacing before they do, which is potentially a metaphor that can be carried across to this situation um, in, the situ in instances where people might question whether it's reasonable to spend so much on preventative measures and to in incur all of these economic costs, like sh basically shutting down the Australian economy. Most people are confined to their homes social distancing, we have 10% unemployment at the moment, there'll be a lot of very significant drastic economic outcomes from this, which will negative, negatively affect a ton of people. That's true. Um, I guess, the yeah, if you can find out about these things very early, you can definitely act upon them, and ideally no one should even notice that they're an issue because you've already avoided that path, right? Um, but the question is whether these people in charge, these politicians, um, they're even able to act on them because um, I think New York Times recently published an article um, stating that Donald Trump, um, the current president of the United States, was told about this um, virus in a memo in, on January 29th by his trade advisor, um, Peter Navarro. Um, and it outlined all of the risks and how likely it was, um, yet nothing was done. So I guess while these preventative models and this um, knowledge is very important, I guess it's in the hands of the people that utilize the information to utilize it well. Yeah, well, the sad thing about that is that no matter how effective the models are, there are some people who won't effectively use them, and I suspect that that may have gone on there. Yeah. And it's almost a metaphor, well, not even a metaphor, but it's a bit of a 
startling um, realization about humanity that we don't actually act on something until we see how bad it is with our own eyes. We can have as many warnings as we need, but very few people are going to act until they see the disaster that ensues. And usually by that time it's too late. Like With this crisis, right, you've got so many people unfortunately passing away. I think the world, um, the world total passed 100,000 a few days back. Um, 100,000 fatalities. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. <sighs> kind of makes you wish that robots made these decisions, right? <laughs> or an AI. It. A centralized AI to govern the planet. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. We'd be so screwed. But yeah. We would. <laughs> anyway, talking about robots. Um, it's pretty interesting the um, role they're playing here, right? You've got these um, these robots in. I think you told me earlier was it Wuhan Hospital? Yeah, um, particularly reports of the, the hospital in a Wuhan field hospital employing robots to perform deliveries as to avoid healthcare workers contracting the virus. So you have these autonomous robots that can do the job of three delivery workers opening doors and it can even use elevators on its own wow so <laughs> that is insane yeah it raises a lot of questions about links in the chain of the healthcare industry that may be replaced by automated processes in the interest of the safety of both health workers and patients alike that is really awesome but one thing that scares me about that um do you have you ever um have you ever been on one of those automated phone call um, lines where they ask you to tell you what you tell them what you want, um, and then you try tell them, and then they don't understand you, so you have to repeat again and again and again? It'd be pretty funny if that happened with an elevator, right? So what would you like to do? Go up, and they're like, "Sorry, can you say that again?" Go up, and you just have to do that over and over again. That would be a pretty frustrating reality if that were to happen. I'm sure I'm sure they've designed a, a reasonable interface with which the robot can engage with the elevator. I hope so. Maybe it has a little USB snake that it can stick in the elevator. Yeah, maybe. But it's super interesting because these computers, these robots, obviously have these advantages over us. They're not alive. So there's not much of a risk there, you know? Mm. There's no ability to contract at least a biological virus. Yeah, and with... The, with increasing numbers of human interactions as well, you get a, a proportionally increased response in the degrees of contact you have to people. So from... Yes. It's like an N-squared problem, right? So going from one to two people in a room, you're not... I mean, obviously that's a different case and you are drastically increasing the number of contact, but from two to three, three to four there are yeah. less opportunities for new instances of infection occurring than in comparison to the case of 15 going to 16 population size. And so any of these reductions in human interactions will have very positive outcomes, especially in this I industry. I think you're right. So the whole idea is it's like a web, right? So you've got a source node. Um, so you've got a source person, and then they get in contact with um, n amounts of people. Let's arbitrarily say two point something, as I think that's the um, n naught value, right? And then they get in contact with 
the same amount of people, so it actually ends up working out to some base to the power of n, which is mentally exponential, you know? Um, it comes to a point where you don't actually realize it happening until it's too late, because if cases keep doubling every three days, you know, like one to two, oh well, two to four, oh well, but once you get to like a hundred thousand and then the next day you have two hundred thousand, you know, it's it's so it's so massive, it's a massive, um, massive difference that, yeah, having these robots performing these jobs where you're minimizing that potential, um, that potential interaction, that's great. And I think it should definitely be used now. And I was even thinking you could even start using smartphone technologies to do it, you know? Everyone's got a smartphone in their pocket. If these companies like Apple or Google decided to have um, a standard where you could just like point your phone towards a door using NFC, you could just go through everywhere contactless. It would be epic. That's a thought. Wow, that would, yeah, that's, that'd be hugely advantageous, wouldn't it? Yeah, but then you've got this pre-existing infrastructure. That's the problem with all of these big technological changes. What do you do with all of the doors that don't have it? <laughs> you know, it's like it needs to be common enough for people to go ahead and use it. And yeah, I don't know. And maybe the people in society that still aren't on smartphones, which seems ludicrous, but I'm sure they exist, they would be at a massive loss and not being able to go anywhere. They would, yeah. Hmm. And what if your phone's out of battery? I mean, yeah, there's so many issues with these systems. Uh, I think it's a bit, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thought, though. Yeah, it sure is. Going on yeah. from the concept of um, interrupted chain links, Apple, for instance, has stated earlier this year that there's a very high likelihood they will not meet their production targets because of yes. the widespread disruption caused by the outbreak. Companies yep. and producers that involve a high number of supply chain links will be at high risk of being unable to deliver on the previously conceived targets. It's fascinating, isn't it? Um, you think... I feel like this um, virus has really brought to light how much... how much... Um, like, the whole economy is dependent on China's production. You saw... The effect of globalization, isn't it? True. I mean, it's all specialization. So you've got one country that is specialized in making um, a certain type of product, China being electronics here. And they get their costs so low that it becomes so effective to produce there. And the moment you take them out of the equation, how fast can you build supply chains up again? Um... And it looks like these countries haven't been able to succeed too much there. But now I think China's back to producing Apple products already, which is great. But now the fears are, okay, we've got the products, maybe not as efficiently as we did before, but where are the people? Because we're about to go through a massive recession globally. People aren't going to have money. They're not going to be likely to want to spend money. So I guess there starts another problem where you're thinking... Okay, so we don't have any um, we don't have any uh, spenders. So what's the point of producing so many products? You know, um, I mean. Yeah, there'll be a barrage of knock-on effects for years to come, won't there? Yeah, it's mental. I mean, they're comparing this to the Great Depression, you know, and it's known that like a lot of people that lived through the Great Depression, they never actually saw things the same way again, and it completely changes societal behavior around spending. Absolutely. If you 
heard much about the Spanish flu influenza epidemic in 1918. Yeah, it's been brought up quite a bit. Yeah, now, hasn't it? I heard um, secondhand stories from people reporting on the time that they lived through it. And for years post that era, they still had a deep-seated fear of going into crowded areas after the restrictions that had been placed during that time. And so if we see things like that continuing to exist in society, because I'm sure it will be a while before we have a developed vaccine and most populations have herd immunity, there will be a lot of people hesitant to engage in normal activities for a long time. That's true. And that's going to wreak havoc on the economy as well. I'm really curious to see how many people end up going back to the gym. I know a lot of my um, co-workers, they've um, ended up buying uh, gym equipment at home and they're fully self-sufficient now. And similar with coffee shops, I mean, I think people will keep this social distancing in place long after it's um long after it's uh, taken away i feel like it's going to be ingrained in us subconsciously to keep space from everyone you know yeah, honestly that sounds like a really good um, investment be buying those personal gym equipment right a home yeah. gym right i think they've gone into shortage the moment i heard this was happening right before the social distancing i called my gym up and i said sorry i, I can't come anymore and they're like why it's still legal and i was like uh <laughs> just feels like a hotbed of germs and bacteria and everything it's not the best idea i don't think um and then i went ahead to go get myself some gym equipment and it was still there right there are so many so many sources and then i I held back for a bit next thing you know uh they actually closed gyms uh two weeks later i went to get gym equipment again and it was all gone like the stuff that I wanted. And I was like, this is actually insane. Oh, that's so unfortunate. Yeah, that's happening in a lot of places though, isn't it? Different shortages. I've heard uh, gaming consoles, yeah, so. Nintendo Switches, <laughs> they're, they're like backlogged <laughs> for months in a lot of places, sold out globally. And obviously Nintendo supply chains are also a bit disrupted. They must be. Like uh, I recently um, personally went ahead and bought this thing. Um, it's a VR headset. So uh, it's basically like these um, goggles that you put on, strap onto your head, right? Um, And you look around and it's like you're in a different reality. It's surreal. Um, And I had my eye on these for a while, you know, because I was always curious as to what it was like. Um, And we finally got some in Australia. Uh, One of the big retailers had like a lot in, right? So I went ahead and I bought one. I go back four days later because a mate wants to get one as well and they're all gone. They would be, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like everyone's trying to escape this reality, you know? <laughs> Which model headset? Um, this is not an endorsement, but I'm pretty sure this is an HTC Vive Cosmos Elite. Oh, yeah, I've heard good things. Oh, uh, the whole idea. Yeah, I mean, people aren't recommending this one as much as its predecessor because it's just really overpriced. Um, they're selling it like a few too many hundred too much compared to the competition um but the problem is there's such a shortage that if you find one of these you're going to snag one because there's no way you're going to get the other versions anyway i think the other one isn't even sold in australia uh and in america it's on like a three month waiting period goodness (laughs) um so it's like yeah people are really trying to escape (laughs) 
through their own homes, I guess. It's, it's yeah. hilarious, but it's really it's good fun. fear and uncertainty. Definitely, it's yeah. Mental. Speaking of which, you heard about those 5G telephone masks in the UK being set ablaze by vandals? I have not. Explain. So, when I last saw the reports surrounding it, there had just been a lot of social media rumours and conjecture that had prompted people... It was only five masks, but I think that's still significant and kind of crazy. Um, that's mental. Tall 5G towers, and some were just normal telephone lines, burnt down by people after they were convinced by the internet that they were linked to coronavirus. That is mental. I mean, wow. I'm just taken aback. <laughs> I can't believe that people would go ahead and burn down 5G towers. It's pretty next level. The level of misinformation there is mental. How do you even control something like that? Because it's the most random thing. Like, the last thing you would think is 5G being the cause of COVID. But I think we discussed this last time on one of our previous episodes. But I guess people are really scared of 5G. <laughs> yeah. All of these... um. Waves, waves. everyone's starting to think it might cause cancer, you know, even though there's no evidence. And sure, you can only find that out after the fact. But I mean, yeah, that is absolutely... Yeah, I'm not a physicist, but it seems um, a bit confounding to suggest that like non-ionizing radiation could turn into or spawn a virus. How do you turn light into... <laughs> into a, a semi-life form being a virus. <laughs> but, but let's be real, though. I mean, these people that do um, believe this, do you actually think they're like... Is their head really in the right place to logic that out? I mean, surely that's one of the many issues. I, I guess you're right. They haven't, they haven't tackled the physical nature of the issue. No, no, um, not at all. I mean, it's getting to the point where... I, I just see that I just saw this on the news. Um, I think The Verge reported that people are actually um, they're saying that an independent fact-checking charity in the UK has explored the claims. Like, what would that look like? Yeah, we had a look, and there's nothing there. I mean, I'd love to see their investigation <laughs> on that. <laughs> After conclusive study and consultation of the evidence, no, five G does not right? cause COVID nineteen. Yeah, conclusive study. I bet they just went out for a few drinks and they're like, yep, that, 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 that settles it. <laughs> Moving on to our final subtopic, Zoom. Yes. I've been taking a lot of classes lately Zoom. through the this... Zoom conferencing application. Yeah. I'm sure you have yourself. Yeah. How is that working for you? So you're technically Zooming from your um, to your country of um, your exchange country, right? So do you have to stay up crazy hours? Germany, eight hour time difference right now. It was nine a week ago. Um, but uh, it's only bad for the mandatory classes, of course. I've been up until 2 a.m. some days, but it is what it is. That is insane, but I guess at least there's a method of um, low latency communication, right? But it turns out that maybe it's not the best. There has been, um, there have been quite a few security flaws with Zoom, haven't there? Um, that have come to light. I've heard, yeah. Yeah, so it looks like um, it looks like there are quite a few Zoom like zero day hacks. Have you heard of the term um, zero day hacks before? I haven't actually. 
So a zero-day vulnerability is basically just um, a vulnerability in a software, right? Um, that is unknown to the people that actually create the software. And until like they fix that vulnerability, um, hackers or, um, I guess, negative people on the network can totally exploit that vulnerability. And it turns out that Zoom has a serious security flaw. Um, this is also in from The Verge, believe it or not, and I think Wired also reported on this, where um, Zoom's, uh, yeah, if um, hackers put this payload onto Zoom, um, they can hijack Mac webcams, Whoa. which is insane. That's huge, oh my goodness. It is mental. There are so many proof of concepts of this happening, and um, you just get these hackers jumping into these calls, hacking webcams, and being able to see everything. It is mental. Quite disturbing. It is very disturbing. I've also. <laughs> and I was just thinking. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just thinking, as in, it's kind of mental because it's. Have you um, read 1984? I've actually just started. Yeah, well, great timing, because it's absolutely mental, because almost everything's turning online, from funeral services to um, to classrooms to even court proceedings, right? So can you imagine being a hacker, just jumping into Zoom and just clicking that random, join a random meeting button and seeing what's happening, and you can be in, like, a, a courtroom in a second, and then the next thing you're in a freaking classroom, and it's almost like you have access to every room's webcams because every room has to have webcams now it's mental it is mental it? i'd heard cases of it's literally... how you don't actually need passwords to join a lot of these conference calls too so there was a case i think in you really in don't. norway where there was a primary school doing classes and they had people randomly joined doing disturbing things and so the school obviously had to abandon the platform entirely yeah have you heard of um, brute force before? No. So the whole idea is, right, Zoom is very interesting in the sense that you have this um, a meeting ID, right? Which is just a string of numbers and characters, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and they don't need passwords. So you could technically, hypothetically, I'm not saying anyone go do this. Um, but if you have a random character generator, or even just an incrementer, which tries every possible combination of a 10-character string, and throw those in and check if you're actually entering rooms, you could easily get into almost any Zoom room. Pretty crazy, right? There are a lot of plot holes in this whole Zoom story. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely mental, and the barrier to entry to doing something like this is almost nothing, you know? Heck, I could just go onto Google and start... I mean, go on to my search bar or website bar and just start plugging in random numbers and I might just get lucky, you know? Not that I advocate that you do that. Terrible idea. Don't do no. that. But I would never. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely mental how easy it is and it shouldn't be this easy. And Zoom, I think, I think the reason that a lot of people are using it is because it's so easy, you know? No need to sign up, no need to do anything. Just send that link over and someone's in there in less than a minute, right? Absolutely mental. But I feel like it's ease of use and just, you know, um, spontaneity is its biggest downfall. Because they have made it so easy to join a Zoom call, it, they've completely left the security open, like wide open. 
And I guess the question is, are people going to stop using the platform? I know that they just signed signed up a security analyst from one of these big tech companies in America. Um, did you hear about that? No. Um, let me have a look. Uh, one moment. No worries. But they just um, they just recruited this. Um, I think they were from Google. One sec, sorry. I saw this in the news earlier. I can't really find it now, but yeah. Um, they ended up, they're starting to outsource, well not outsource, but hire security people from different companies to try help them fix their con security concerns, you know? It is absolutely Yeah, mental. so the greatest strength is also the greatest vulnerability, I guess, in the ease of access of the platform. I used to remember when I was trying to use those multi-person conference calls app back in the day. It was a lot more yeah. of a pain. You'd, oftentimes have to get prompted to enter into an account every time. It's pretty nice to be able to just yep. open this link and use it, but I can definitely understand for a lot of these use cases, that's a great concern. So the question is, right, uh, I, do you think, Harry, do you think you're going to stop using Zoom because of it? No, not me personally. Right? I'm just taking online oh, classes exactly. for it, none of which is very compromising, so I don't feel bad exactly. about it. I feel like that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Is what you're doing on Zoom, like, very sensitive? And if it's not, then most people are just going to keep doing it and just laugh when a hacker joins or something. If the, um, but if you're in a situation where you don't want someone to tap into your call, I mean, good luck. <laughs> don't use Zoom, Fingers I guess. crossed, yeah. Regardless of all of the issues, like, they are having a massive payday right now, though, aren't they? They had only 10 million users, daily participants in December, <laughs> and now... I wish I could go back. Yeah, <laughs> as of April 1st, they've been getting 200 million daily participants. That is mental. I honestly wish I could go back before the virus and just put all of my money into Zoom stocks. <laughs> <laughs> Are they publicly traded? <laughs> Oh, they must be, right? I'm not too sure. I mean, now would be a pretty good idea to do it as well. I don't know. I do not advocate for anyone going in and putting there. Yeah, they, they are. are. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that is mental. Oh. The last six months, their stocks have gone up like crazy. Like 250 to... Wow, look, at, it was at 60... Yeah, 250%. Yeah. Yeah, it was at like $65 last year. 65 and then it went up to 70 in December, but... Right now, it, like in the last month, it's peaked at what, like, one fifty nine. I think it took a bit of a dip because of the security, but now it's back up and running. When people realize, no one cares. <laughs> you know that should have been an easily predicted meteoric rise for a lot of traders. I imagine. I don't know though. Is it? Uh, which rise, like the second one or the first? No, one? No, just the fact that online video communications apps, if you understand the nature of the upcoming outbreak there would be people who would have predicted this well yeah but at the same time which which app do you put your money on you know like you've got google hangouts you've got microsoft teams that most people have accounts for i would have put my money on google and microsoft because one they're pre-existing players in the game almost everyone has an account with them so it's like little to no work who would have guessed it would be zoom right out of all That's things a good point Google's probably taken a hit now too, yeah. right? Uh, they must have, right? I mean, I know a lot of people are trying to use Teams um, at work and everyone hates it. Everyone went, oh, Zoom security's bad, okay. And then all out of nowhere, they're like, oh, well, 
Um, we'll try Microsoft. They try Microsoft for a week, and then they're like, screw it. Who cares about the hackers? It's way easier to use Zoom. <laughs> oh, relatable. It's actually worrying. Yeah, it is a little bit. I know, right? But, I mean, if we don't care about our security, I mean, it's our own fault at that point. Yeah, I suppose so. Okay, I yeah. think that just about sums up this week's edition of Voltec Tech Book Podcast. Yeah, it does. I mean, I had a really good time talking to you. As did I, Shabazz. It was a lot of Thanks fun. Thanks for hanging out with me yeah. here today. Yeah, thank you. And till the next time, I guess. Till next time. Yeah, catch you soon. Signing off.